following is a presentation of Cornerstone Bible Church in Virginia Beach. For more information on Cornerstone, as well as additional sermon downloads, please visit cbcvirginia.com. All right, well, good morning. I think Stacy's in uh, Chicago this week, so I get the opportunity to uh, fill in and speak to you this morning. I have to confess at the start here that, that I don't really have any goofy story that is tenuously connected to what I want to say, um, but I do have two little boys that I'm really proud of, Breck and Kean. They're uh, three months today, and uh, Sharon and I have really enjoyed just getting to know them. It's been a ton of work, but it's been a lot of fun to be able to be with them, help them learn who they are, and... Um, I want to talk about moving on from infancy to maturity today. So this is my tenuous connection to what I I want to say. But, you know, it's just interesting, even in three months, to see how Breck and Kean have have, uh, grown and changed. Even, I I mean, the first we were talking last night in our community group meeting, that first week or two was pretty rough, just trying to get them even just to learn how to, just how to feed, how to eat. I mean, you wouldn't think it'd be that big a deal, but it is is a, something they have to work through and figure out. And I mean, I, at the hospital, I remember that we we didn't want to give them any of the we had a supplement and give them a little bit of formula, but we didn't want to give them like the the, the bottle yet. And so we were we were holding our, our my my pinky finger in their in their mouth, letting them suck on that, and then syringing the formula into their mouth. And we only thankfully did that for a few days, but it was tiring. I mean, it was. I just thought, wow, I hope we don't have to do this forever for a long time because I don't have a whole lot of patience for this. And, um, yeah, thankfully at the hospital we could, we could feed them and then ship them off to the nursery, and then uh, we could get some rest, and then they'd come back. And then when we were home, the first few days, we're like, oh, my word, <laughs> they're crying. What do we do? <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I'm super proud and uh, excited to just uh, have Breck and Kean with us and the thing is, though, obviously, we, we, we have to do everything for them right now. And our goal is not that they stay. I mean, they're, they're super adorable and cute. Every, every baby is. I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm biased with my own. But, um, you know, the point is not, even though they're so cute and so adorable, the point is not that they stay this way, but that they move on. That at some point, we stop feeding them and they can feed themselves. At some point, we stop changing their diaper and they can go to the restroom by themselves and and things like that, and grow up, and, and be strong, and do what they're going to do, um, and be adults. So, like, that's the goal. We're enjoying this, this part of their life, but we want them to move on. And that's really kind of what I want to talk about today as, as we talk through um, this little passage in Hebrews here. How, how do we mature? How do we go from that stage of infancy where somebody has to do everything for us to being mature in the gospel. One of the, the emphases that, that we like to focus on here at Cornerstone and in churches similar to us is the fact that, that we want to be gospel-centered. And one of the things that means, one of the primary inf- implications for that is that we take the gospel and we go deep in the gospel. So we don't say, okay, you need Jesus and you need to trust in him for salvation. And then once you're done with that, then you're going to move on to this other stuff. And that's what's really going to take you to maturity. Like we're, we're not at all about that. And I mean, we, we believe the scriptures speak strongly against that. But we, we want to say, okay, you need Jesus. Jesus is your savior. He's everything for you. 
And then we want you to keep getting to know Jesus and keep going deep in that gospel message of repent of your sins, believe in Jesus Christ and and, in all of who he is for you and the totality of his message and the good news that he brings to you. And that's how you mature. So that's how we make progress in our faith by repenting, continuing to repent of idolatry, believing in Jesus. In other words, we mature by going deep in the gospel. Um, So I was actually a little puzzled as I read the passage that we're going to talk through today because I felt like it was saying the opposite of that. I felt like the author uh, here, the passage we're going to be studying is in uh, Hebrews chapter 5 and uh, Hebrews chapter 6. I felt like the author is saying, no, actually... I want you guys to mature, but we're going to leave, aside, leave these, these foundational principles and we're going to go on to something else, and that's what's going to mature you. So if you will, humor me for a little bit today because this is just me pursuing this rabbit trail of, wait a minute, this is what we say. If we're gospel-centered and we believe this, this passage seems to say something else. So uh, at the end of the day, maybe a simple fix for you. Maybe you didn't even care about it or didn't even know it was a problem, but for me it's been something I've been thinking about and working through. And so that's what I want to talk about today. Uh, do turn there to Hebrews chapter 5 and 6 in the Bible in front of you. That's page uh, 1003 if, you're, if you need that. So at the end of the day, what I'm trying to do is find out, okay, feels like this passage is saying one thing. If, I need, if I'm going to evaluate that and figure out whether that jives with what I believe the rest of the Bible teaches, then I've got to figure out what this guy is saying, and then we're going to go from there and say, okay, now that I know what he is saying, then I know what he's not saying, if that's what he's not saying. So let's read uh, Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through chapter 6, verse 12. And just follow along with me as I read. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case, the things that have to do with salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end 
in order to make your hope sure. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Let's pray. Jesus, you have the words of eternal life, and we have nowhere else to go. So I pray that you would open our eyes to see that you are greater than anything, that you are worth pursuing and pursuing diligently, and maybe, may we be ones who find you as our greatest, our all in all, and do know how to press on to maturity in you, not by leaving you behind, but by embracing you and getting to know you better. We pray this in Jesus' name and for your sake. Amen. All right, so you can see where my conundrum is here. At the very beginning of chapter 6, and uh, 6-1, it says, Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death, of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying out of hands, the resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment, etc. So that's mostly where I'm going to be parking today. Um, and talking about, but let me try to give you a real quick sense of where we are in the book of Hebrews. And let me also, while I'm doing that, give you a little plug for what's coming up ahead. In, in uh, the months of January and February, Pastor Stacy's going to be taking a study leave. So one of the things I'm going to be able to do is uh, I'm going to take the month of January, and I want to walk with you quickly through the book of Hebrews. It's going to be pretty ambitious, but what we're, what we're trying to do is, is take a, a kind of a higher look a top-level view of the main points of Hebrews so that when we're done, at the end of January, I, I hope we'll be able to say, I have a good understanding of the basic idea of Hebrews. Some of the main points he's making, the main themes. I want to walk through those things. And, uh, and I think that will be beneficial because I, I, my, my personal feeling is that as Christians, most of us, if we've grown up in church, we've listened to many, many sermons where we take five years to study one chapter in the book of Matthew, and I think that's great. There's a lot we can learn from that. But I also think that because sometimes we do that, we fail to step back and get the big picture of this is what these five verses mean. And I think Pastor Stacy has done a great job with that, of not only showing us what these details mean in the book of Mark, but also stepping back and giving us a bigger picture of, hey, this is why this is significant, and this is the point he's making. So that's one of my goals, and uh, that'll be coming up in the book of... Um, I'm sorry, in the, in the month of January coming up. So come back for that and look forward to that. I'm looking forward to uh, sharing what, I, what I've learned. In chapter 1 of Hebrews, we have Jesus presented as the Son of God. He's greater than angels. Then the author quickly goes, in at the beginning of chapter 2, he has a warning about, the, don't neglect this salvation. This Jesus is better. You've been given the word of salvation. Don't neglect it. Don't drift away. Then he talks about Jesus' humanity there at the last part of chapter 2. In chapter 3, he compares Jesus with Moses and shows how Jesus is better than Moses because he's the son. He's not just a servant, but he's the son who's really the heir, and he's brought this salvation for you. Then there's, again, a warning to avoid the hard hearts that some demonstrated in the wilderness by not obeying, having hearts of unbelief and failing to enter God's rest. Then, actually, the author launches into one of his biggest segments of the entire book. And if you didn't realize, I didn't realize this, but to the end of chapter 4 through the first half of chapter 10, so we're talking about the major bulk of the theological instruction in Hebrews, the author is presenting Jesus as our great high priest. 
So this is what he spends the majority of time discussing and, and teasing out. And this is where we find ourselves today. He's just at the, in, the, in chapter 5 here, the author has said, um, going back to verse 8, Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So this is what he has just said. He's just said, hey, I want to talk to you about Jesus, the high priest. He's already given us a little bit of information about what that means and how he's uh, filling that role. And then he says, but I want to talk to you about Jesus as the high priest, not as uh, like Aaron, but like this guy Melchizedek. So what we have here is we actually have an interruption. This is what he wants to say. He wants to tell him about Jesus, the high priest of the order of Melchizedek, but he interrupts his thought because of what we read today. He says, I have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. Um, so he begins this little section that we're studying today. He begins by saying, you guys have sluggish ears, is the idea in the, in the language there. You guys are, have sluggish uh, hear, ears. Your heart of hearing is one of the ways that we would say that in our, in our modern day now. Um, they're hearing, but they're not really hearing. The interesting thing is there at the end of this section, he, he kind of bookends his section by using this exact same word. It's only used twice in the New Testament here in these sections here. So right at the beginning, 5.11, he says you have sluggish ears. And then at the end of this section, Hebrews 6, chapter 12, sorry, Hebrews 6, verse 12, we do not want you to become lazy, or same word, to have be sluggish in your hearing. So what... What the author has done is kind of set this section out and said, okay, I want to talk to you about Jesus, our great high priest from the order of Melchizedek, but before I can get there, I need to talk about this. And I want to warn you to be diligent hearers. So let me point out a couple things here. First of all, we're, we're in this interruption of his main thought. He hasn't been able to get to it yet because he's, he's got these things he wants to tell them. But notice also that he says on the one hand, that he can't tell them these things because they're lazy hearers. But then if you go back to chapter 6, and then he starts, when God made his promise to Abraham, he started talking about the promises. And then at the end of chapter 6, he says, he has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And in chapter 7, he starts talking about Melchizedek. So notice for, for a second here that on the one hand, he says, hey, I can't talk about this because you guys are dull of hearing. You're lazy. But then he goes right around, he turns right around and tells them that he's going to talk. He tells them what he was going to tell them. So it's, it's rhetorical language. He's trying to encourage them to show, hey, no, I, I, I'm not really d lazy of hearing. I really do want to be diligent to hear, to respond to this message of the gospel that I'm, that I'm listening to. Second thing just to notice about the overall context before we uh, get too much farther in here <clears throat> is in chapter 4, uh, sorry, verse, chapter 6, sorry, I'll get it right here, and verse 4, he begins a section on the uh, a warning against apostasy, about how it's difficult, or it's impossible is his language, to, for somebody who enjoys all this Christian experience and then turns away, it's impossible for that person to be renewed to repentance and, and brought back to the faith. I don't really want to spend a lot of time on this, this 
problem here because that's not the focus of what I want to speak on today. But again, let's just think about this. If it's impossible for these people to renew, to be renewed to repentance and brought back to the faith, then he would, if he thought these people were in that camp and could no longer be brought back, then he wouldn't waste his time. So the bottom line is, these people, he feels like there's this danger that these people are going to walk away, return to their Jewish faith, and go back from the message of Christ. But obviously he believes that they're not so far gone, or they haven't taken that step or gone that far. They can still be brought back. So he's warning them. Um, So I think at the end of the day, too, I know there's a lot of theological debate over this passage, but at the end of the day, um, most of the time, we are not sure yet whether that person has reached that spot. And so we can still admonish people, hey, pursue Christ. Don't leave Christ. Stick with Christ because he's all that you need. Um, So that's all I really want to say there. But these people, as he's admonishing them, he clearly knows, hey, it's not too late. You guys can still turn from what I think you're, the route that I think you're going to, and you can stay with Christ, hold fast to Christ. All right, so let's go through this section at a time. There's four sections here. Um, As I mentioned already, uh, the last part of chapter 5, the main problem is laziness. They they aren't hearing well. And this is actually something that the author has been repeating several times already in the book of Hebrews. Again, we're jumping in in the middle um, to pursue my question here. But he's already said this several times. If you go back to chapter 2, verse 1, it says, We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. In chapter 3, verse 7 and 8, he says something similar. So as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness when your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. And he was angry with that generation. Um, They didn't enter his rest, is is the message there. Um, Verse 12 of chapter 3, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. And skip down to verse 16. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. So this has been something that the author in the book of Hebrews has focused on up to this point that we find ourselves today. He's warning these people. He's saying, let me tell you about who Jesus is, but in the middle of that, don't be tempted to drift away, to, to walk away from this gospel. Uh, he's writing to these Jewish Christians who are facing more and more pressure and persecution and the temptation to pull back from the the claims of Christ and go back to where they were in Judaism. And he's saying, don't do that. You've got something better here in Jesus. Don't move back. Don't go back. So there's two problems here he outlines. The first one I've mentioned, they're lazy. They're not diligent hearers. And Another way to look at that or the thing that he talks about here is they are infants or they're immature. And what that means for him is that they're not putting into practice what they know. So the author talks about 
information and teaching. He says, you guys should, there's been enough time for you to be able to be teachers already, but you're not. You still need someone to teach you the basics. So on the one hand, there's information that they still need. They still need to be reminded of. But he's also talking about application and transformation. He's saying you're not mature because you haven't taken these, these facts, this teaching, and you haven't worked it out. You haven't put it to practice in your life. And that's one of the things that you're lacking. And that's one of the things that you need to go uh, and do to press on to maturity. But the goal for the, for the author of Hebrews is that they would press on to maturity. Not to be infants who haven't practiced, who haven't put it into, worked it into their life, but to be adults, to be mature people who have practiced this, who've worked it out, who've wrestled with it, and, and lived it into their life. So in section 2, starting with in chapter 6, verse 1, he says, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. Let's press on, not laying this foundation of repentance again, etc., etc. So he says he wants them to move on to maturity, but he doesn't want to go over this foundation that consists of the, the items that he lists here at the end of uh, chapter one, or verse 1 and verse 2. I want to talk about this in a minute, but let me, let me again just go through section 3. Section 4, just finish this passage, and then we'll come back to here real quick. Again, in, uh, from verses 4 through, through 8, it's talking about the impossibility of restoring these people who reject the faith and turn away from it. And that's, the connection here is, I want you to press on to maturity, because don't miss this, if you don't, the option is going the other way. You don't really, one of the things he's trying to warn his people is you don't really have an option of just putting it in neutral and saying, hey, I got Christ, I'm good. You've got to be going forward, pressing on to maturity, putting these things in practice, going deep in the gospel, or you're kind of going back the other way. So he is arguing, obviously, for them to be diligent to pursue Christ. And then the end, though, he says, even though we speak this way, we are, I'm warning you, he says, but... I'm convinced of better things for you. So he says, if the, if the past is any indication of the way you've handled this pressure, then, then I'm convinced that you're going to move forward. Again, he's, he's urging them, exhorting them, keep going. Keep doing what you've been, been doing. Don't run away from that. Okay, so let's go back to uh, verse 1 here. And I just want to talk through a few of the details of this text and help you see where I've come out on this. He starts with, therefore. So he said, look, here's what I want to tell you. I want to tell you about Jesus as the great high priest. But you can't hear it. You can't understand it because you're, you're lazy. But instead of saying, nevertheless, I'm going to tell you about it. In spite of the fact that you're lazy, I'm going to tell you about it. He says, therefore, because since you are immature, I'm going to press you on to maturity by telling you the very things that I said earlier, you couldn't handle. So again, this is rhetorical language. He's trying to encourage them, hey, to show that they're not actually as lazy as he is, is accusing them of, rhetorically. So the question that I have, the, the key questions that I was trying to answer in my, in my study to, uh, for today is, what is the author talking about when he says this 
moving, moving beyond the elementary teachings of Christ, or about Christ. What is he talking about when he speaks of the foundation here that he doesn't want to lay again? Um, and then he lists the items that this foundation consists of repentance from acts that lead to death, of faith in God, instructions about cleansing rites, or the word is actually baptisms in the plural. Um, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. Uh, all these, these, these six items are what make up that foundation that the author says he doesn't want to lay that again. He doesn't want to repeat that and re rehash that. So, are they the same thing? Is he talking about the same thing in these, in these verses here? And also, why does he not want to lay this foundation again? Because again, I'm trying to figure out, well, why does the author say he doesn't want to do this when that seems to be what we're saying we want to do? We want to go back to the gospel. We want to keep laying that foundation and rehearse it and go deep in that. So let me answer these questions one by one. First, these two statements, moving beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and not laying this foundation, of etc., of the, the items that he lists, I feel like the author is using that as two ways to say the same thing. So on the one hand, he's stating a positively, let's move on from this. And the other hand, he's saying kind of more of a negative, like, I don't want to talk about this again. So I'm going to take these two. He's, he's talking about the same thing here. Um, what is this foundation? What is this that he doesn't want to lay again for his people? We, we see six items here kind of coupled together. There's repentance and faith. There's washings or baptisms and laying on of hands, kind of more of ceremonial actions. Um, then there's the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. These, these six items, three pairs. And all the commentators are essentially agreed that these items are some of the, the basics of what you would put together for a, a catechism or like an initiatory teaching for Christians, for um, these people. But it, if you look at it, there's nothing distinctly Christian here in the sense that there's nothing that couldn't also be basically Judaism. So it seems like these are the basics of not only Christian Christianity, but also Judaism. So there's like this mix of each, each, each religion, if you will, Jews or Christians could take this list and say, okay, well, this is what this means for me. And they could inform it with their own contact, content. Um, but it's, it's a lot of the commentators go back and forth. Well, so, okay, so is, it, is this a Jewish list or is this a Christian list? What is this? Um, and nobody seems to agree on that. So I think in the context of a Christian author writing to a group of Christians who have embraced Christ but are facing pressure and persecution to drift back to Jewish uh, religion, the, the Judaism of their day, it seems like what we're talking about here is something, the, the word we would use today and in, our, in our modern day would be a, a, a worldview, a, a Jewish worldview idea of... Um, the things that were preparatory for the gospel through the, the revelation in the Old Testament, but weren't necessarily gospel themselves. So, for example, 
um, all of the commentators are able to point to how there's different uh, washings and in, in the plural in, in Judaism. Like there's, there's baptism we see for John, but there's other baptisms, there's other washings that they would do. Uh, there's laying on of hands. There's, there's a foundation clearly in the Old Testament on repentance from uh, dead works and faith in God. I mean, that's a, that's a clear, even what he's going to say in, in chapter 11 is, look, all these people in the Old Testament, they did what they did because they believed who God was, and that's faith. Um, and they clearly, you could demonstrate from the New Testament uh, that the, the New Testament people like the Pharisees, etc., believed that there were, was a resurrection from the dead, and they, they got that from the Old Testament, and clearly an eternal judgment. So, what I feel like this is talking about, when it's talking about this foundation, is it's, it's pre-gospel, but it's not gospel itself. So it's the things that would help uh, the gospel make sense. Uh, it's kind of like a, the basic worldview that you'd need to understand in order for you hear the gospel and you can respond to it because it makes sense to you. So it's not gospel. It's kind of like pre-gospel. And then finally, why does he want to press on from this? Why does he not want to stay here? Why does he not want to talk about that but move on? And I think the answer is because the, uh, if you will, the, the fuzzy middle ground between Christianity and Judaism is not really the place to stay if you want your audience to embrace the gospel and see Jesus as better than all that Judaism has to offer. Judaism was not horrible or wrong or awful in the sense that it definitely prepared the way for Christ. Uh, but he's saying throughout his book, he's wanting these, his people to move forward to embrace Christ, to see Christ for all that he is as better than what they had. So he doesn't want them to stay there in that pre-preparatory foundational piece uh, that might be easier for somebody if for example, if you were talking about Christ and embracing Christ and going to Christ as the Messiah in this context, or you want you had the option of talking about maybe the Old Testament, some of the some of the things that that were preparation for who Jesus was, it might be easy for these people in this context to say, "Yeah, let's talk about that," because that's easy. That's that's doesn't that that doesn't challenge me. That doesn't threaten my existence here in this society. So the author doesn't want to stay there. He doesn't want to stay in that middle ground. He wants to keep going to Christ. Um, I don't know if you've heard Stacy, Pastor Stacy, talk about this, but he, he said, uh, I've heard him say it, I think, at least several times, you know, I don't, I don't want to talk about God or faith or religion with people. This, is, this would be kind of more something that we would experience. But he said, let, let me talk about Jesus with people. Because when you get to Jesus, now you're talking about who is Jesus to me and what has he done for me and how am I going to respond and interact with him as opposed to some nebulous concept of, oh yeah, you know, I go to church or I believe in God. I, I have faith. Uh, that could mean anything. So I think that would be kind of a, a, a modern day idea of what he's saying, let's not stay there. Let's move on. So at the end of the day, maybe this was kind of my, I had my epiphany with this, and maybe it was kind of like a, oh, yeah, duh. 
for you guys, but for me it was, it was good to think. I mean, I'm asking the question, how does this fit with our gospel-centered approach of bringing everything back to the gospel? And the answer is, simple answer is, it's not talking about the same thing. The author of Hebrews is talking about foundational understanding, a worldview, again, is maybe a word that we would use, and particularly a Jewish worldview in this context. Um, but it's, as I've said before, it's pre-gospel. It's not gospel itself. So this passage is not telling us that we need to mature by pushing on from the foundation and leaving the foundation of the gospel behind and pursuing something else. It's telling us, this passage is telling us, no, I want to move away from that which is easy Jewish pre-gospel to the gospel itself. Because what he wants to tell them ultimately in the, in the larger context of this book is he says, okay, I want to get to, the, to telling you about Jesus, who's our great priest, our great high priest, but he's kind of a special high priest. It's not like what we've expected from the Old Testament. He's from the special order of Melchizedek, and he's going he's gonna to draw that out. So maturity comes from taking the truth that we know, the gospel we know, putting it into practice, understanding more of what Christ has done for us and who he is for us. In other words, it's knowing the gospel and putting it into practice in our lives. The author is not talking about simply information, but again, he's talking about transformation and action, taking what we know to be true in the gospel and living it out in our life. So we, in, our, in our context here, we're not tempted, I don't think, to go back to that pre-gospel foundation of Judaism. But I think that there are still several ways that this passage could speak to us. And there's a few, few takeaways for us as we finish up here. So here are my, my three suggestions for us. We need to go deep. We need to hold fast, and we need to trust God. So first of all, I mean, go deep in the gospel. We need to be diligent to hear and believe the good news that's preached to us. We need to hear obediently, and as James says, we need to be doers of the word. So we need to not allow ourselves to get into the habit of just sitting down to read the word, without thinking about how to actually respond to it and interact with it. This is a great opportunity for us. One of the things we're trying to do in our community groups is to meet weekly in uh, small, real small groups, gender-specific groups, to talk about, you know, in, our, in a town center community group, we're talking about three things. We talk about what are we reading in the Word? How are we interacting with that? We talk about, um, you know, what sin can we confess and, and pray for one another? And then how, who are we reaching out to? How can we help each other and pray for one another as we live on mission together? But this is a great opportunity for us in our life groups, in those groups, to be able to say, hey, this is what I'm reading, and here's how I'm interacting with it, and you need to hold me accountable to do that. Because uh, it would be too, it's too easy to just be lazy and say, yeah, that was nice, and then move on. It's something I've got to continually work on. I certainly haven't mastered that. Perhaps reading the word, we need to repent of the sins that, that the passage would bring to mind. Perhaps we need to rejoice, uh, thank God for what he's done, and uh, just meditate on what he's done and who he is for us. 
Perhaps we need to choose to take a specific action of obedience, whether it's to forsake sin on the one hand or pursue Jesus. Again, the author's going to tell us later, put your eyes on Jesus. Don't, don't keep your eyes on your sin. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Uh, practice constantly is the idea here, even at the end of chapter 5. Practice preaching the gospel to yourself. Become gospel fluent is one of the, I guess it's kind of a buzzword, but it's, it's knowing how to take the basic truths of the gospel and work it into your life. So when you see, when you see sin in your life, you, you don't say to yourself, man, I shouldn't do that, or that's wrong, or I'm going to try harder next time. We say, no, God tells me to love him with all my heart and soul and mind and strength. And what that indicates is that that's really idolatry. I put something else in front of God. So you have this conversation with yourself. That's idolatry. So I can repent of that. And I can believe, how is Jesus better? And here's where I think we need to do the, the diligent, the hard work of, how is Jesus better than this? And I feel like this is an area where I really need to grow myself. And is I, I tell myself, yeah, Jesus is better than this temptation or this, this sin. But I don't really think about, how is he really better than that? Because he is. If Jesus really is who he says he is, he's better than pursuing that sin or this temptation. And I need to really think about how that is true and meditate on that. Again, this is a great opportunity for our life groups to work with each other and talk through this on a, on a weekly basis because we can't go without this. We need this. Um, this is a bit of a side note, but he mentions here at the end of chapter 5 that these people have had enough time to be teachers, but they <clears throat> are not there yet. And I guess I would just encourage us, uh, sorry for the analogy, but avoid spiritual constipation. Like, seriously, we need to be taking in the Word and letting it go out. I mean, we need to be working with teaching people, discipling people. We can't just hold it in. We're like a spiritually obese nation, and it's disgusting. Like, that's not cool. <laughs> We've got to take in, but healthy is to, to give out, to work on that. So find someone you can disciple. Find someone you can teach. Just walk. Do life with them. It doesn't have to be a formal program, but teach them what you know about Jesus. Help them to see how you're finding Jesus to be better than anything else and how you're pursuing him. So go deep in the gospel. Secondly, hold fast to Christ as your ultimate treasure. In this context, in the book of Hebrews, we have people who are tempted to say, yeah, I've heard about Christ, but now the pressure's on. Now there's temptation to step back from that and go back to what's easy and what's comfortable because my society is pushing me away from that and is rejecting that. Again, we don't really have that situation where people are persecuting us for our faith but we do have a, a situation where it's far too easy for us to go back to just living in, comfortably in our society without, without really embracing Jesus for all that he is and all that that means for us. For example, all of us need this exhortation to forsake our society, what our society has to offer in materialism and consumerism. Those are really just idols. Um, and allow our, our values, our priorities, our commitments, how we use our money and our time to be shaped by what the Word says, um, to be shaped by the, the treasure that we have in Christ, as opposed to allowing us to look just like the world. Uh, 
the, we have that famous chapter, chapter 11 in the book of Hebrews here, that talks about those who acted on faith and what they did. They did all these different things because they believed, not, not only did they believe, but they trusted that the promise that the God had given them was better than anything else. That that was worth for Abraham doing something stupid like just moving away not knowing where he was going, but he did it because he knew that the promise that God was offering him was better. And, you know, again, we can go on and on. But the, the author here at the end of this section in, in chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 11 and 12, we want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. We do not want you to be lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Jesus is better than anything. That's what we proclaim to ourselves as we come here and gather together each week. That's what we sing. <clears throat> That's why we sing. We don't sing because they're cool songs or that's what we do before someone gets up and talks. We sing because we're preaching the gospel to ourselves. We're telling ourselves Jesus is better. So find Jesus to be better. Work through how is he really better we sang, Jesus, you have the words of life. Where else can we go? And that's, that's true. We're, we're just trying to go deep in the gospel by saying, okay, in each of these situations, when I see this sin in my life, when I see this happen, when I need to grow here, I want to get, interact with who Jesus is, interact with the gospel. And finally, just trust God. God is the one who uh, gives us a desire to pursue him. And so we work, we cooperate with what the Holy Spirit is doing, but at the end of the day, we know that we're at God's mercy. So he took that first step in sending Christ to, to meet us, to save us, to take us from being enemies with, with him and at enmity with him to being friends, to being adopted into his family. So we're going to trust God that we will imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Our inheritance is great. Don't fail to inherit it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I would, I would just echo the words that, of that song, Lord, show us Christ. Show us how you are better than anything. Help us to go through the, the discipline, the mental um, practice of seeing you as better than anything when we're faced with temptation, sin, uh, just to be complacent, to be lazy. God, would you help us to see that, that Jesus Christ is worth pursuing with all our heart and with all our mind and soul and strength and that that energy and that effort is worth it because of what you've promised us. So we look forward to that. We pray that you would do this in us for your sake and glory. Amen.